Hello and welcome. My name is Peter Ehrlich and this is Into the Details. Today we'll be discussing a bipartisan carbon tax, part two, where we're learning from the EU how tariffs can do for our atmosphere what COP27 did not. In part one of this series, I talked about the European Union, their moderating effect upon Ukrainian corruption, and their carbon tax implemented as an emissions trading system about 10 years ago. Today, I go on to discuss the surprisingly advanced state of carbon taxation around the world, including the U.S., and some of the directions that we're going in the future. As a reminder, ETS systems are a cap-and-trade, a budget for carbon emissions by industry. So, diving right in here, emissions trading schemes go global. I've found that the scale of emissions marketplaces and carbon taxes to be surprising in scope. According to the 2022 World Bank report, there are 68 programs implemented today, covering a total of 23% of global emissions, including a giant spike in 2021 as China's program came online, covering alone 5% of emissions. Although the U.S. is not present nationally, New England uh, under RGGI and California each have their own programs, as well as Canada and Oregon and Washington as well. Of course, this leaves 75% or more of emissions as not yet covered by any carbon tax or emissions trading scheme. And here we get to the first figure in the, in the blog post. It's sort of the chart of the number of systems uh, of sort of carbon tax programs uh, online over time. And we've just reached 68 uh, in 2022. Um, in no cases are emissions credits fungible or exchangeable between programs. This means that you just have one marketplace where you're based um, and you can't exchange between the two. Um, and as we discussed last time, like sometimes there's derivatives markets and sometimes there's not. Um, I expect that uh, over time, once the world has worked out a practical and effective standards of quality, um, then maybe there will be fungible emissions credits between the programs, um, but they're not yet. There's a wide range in prices uh, in, the, in terms of the cost per ton of CO2 emitted, um, but almost all of them fall short in the $50 to $100 a ton estimated as necessary to hit net zero in 2050. For example, uh, presently RGGI in New England comes in at $13 per ton emitted where it is capped. Compare that to Sweden and Switzerland's prices of more than $100 a ton and the EU ETS market price around 90 uh, euros per ton. Uh, note that Germany also has a standalone ETS program, which additively covers for land transportation, which is not covered by EU ETS. And here we get to our second figure in the blog post. Um, it's kind of a cool graphic from the report where on the x-axis we have, so uh, it's, a, it's an xy chart and there's a dot, an area dot for each country. And on the x-axis is, is how much is covered by that country's tax. And the y-axis is what what the what the price is so generally if you're up and to the right you're covering all your emissions at a high price and if you're down into the left you're covering no emissions at a, and at a low price um and so for example canada has a lot high canada and ukraine have a lot high coverage but very low prices eu ets is squarely in the middle um 
and so forth. RGGI uh, in New England is, is sort of pretty far to the left uh, and low down. Um, but yeah, that's fun to look at. Um, and then I have another chart right after that of the uh, of sort of the world map and showing which programs are in which states, and you can go and see see countries by by color to see what what phase they're in. Um, okay, back to the text. Um, so although ETS programs are slow to claim victory, um, they're not hitting that fifty to hundred dollar price point. Um, there are some little wins. In countries which are even considering a carbon tax or an ETS program, uh, companies are five times more likely to implement an internal corporate carbon price, essentially anticipating the need to factor this into their business plans. Um, and the United States is a leader in the number of companies implementing or planning internal pricing. This is, of course, not the end of the picture, either. In the U.S., H.R. 2307 proposes a revenue-neutral carbon tax and is advocated for by Citizens Climate Lobby. There are many regional, state, country, and city resolutions as well, but that will have to wait for a follow-up post. Although, I'm oh, sorry, I thought the state of global ETS overview given on a webinar for Indonesian climate policy was quite good. And then there's a link to a video from, her, uh, from a, uh, a lawyer from Ernst & Young. Um, she's basically explaining uh, to Indonesia how to implement their own uh, ETS scheme and sort of the state of things. Um, and if you're, you're surprised to see Indonesia here, it might be helpful to know that they burn a lot of coal uh, and they process on-site many raw materials necessary for battery, batteries. And on top of all this, they're an island nation with a high ratio of coastal area to land area, and they're going to be one of those nations most affected by climate change and sea levels changing. Um, so the report also acknowledges that both explicit policy, as we've been discussing so far, and implicit policy affect carbon prices. Uh, fossil, fuse, fossil fuel subsidies are, are one such example of an implicit policy. In this uh, 2021 study published by Nature Finance, it uh, shows how different countries' COVID stimulus packages have affected their green goals. And so it's sort of an interesting dive into, into sort of like, okay, so you can have an explicit thing and then what's really going on under the hood. Um, and you can see way at the, the right end of the chart, you can see Denmark is very green, quote-unquote, in their stimulus package. And, and on the very left, Russia is very red. Um, and the U.S. is coming in right in the middle. Uh, yep. Um, okay. So that's, that's carbon pricing programs. We've seen they've, they've been expanding a bit. Um, that's nice. Um, now, let's talk about international trade. So everything discussed so far has had to do with countries or regions enacting regulation within their own borders. This is a powerful lever and can have international leverage as well. For example, Ukraine has built its own ETS within compliance of EU standards. However, Carbon taxes and marketplaces can be their own ruin if not balanced against foreign comp competition. As local prices go up, businesses will leave the region. This effect, known as carbon leakage, is minimal so far as taxes are light, but in order to reach necessary levels, the effects must be stronger. Now, like me, you might be wondering, why in the heck would a country tax their own businesses when they could just sling down a protective tariff which taxes everyone else instead? This has been discussed in some depth, 
and in this 2010 World Customs Journal paper, it goes into detail. Indeed, uh, the, the WCO, Secretary General of this World Customs Organization, um, is quoted as saying, Protection of the environment is often regarded as a policy matter of other ministries, but the customs community has the effective means to contribute to this increasingly important policy objective. And there is precedent with the ozone-depleting substances under the Montreal Protocol. In 1995, the U.S. created what's known as a border tax adjustment, corresponding to the amount of material multiplied by how strongly it depletes the Earth's ozone layer, and that tax is applied to goods entering the country. Um, Twenty years later, and the ozone crisis is a thing of the past. The Customs Journal paper discusses how the same BTA, or border tariff adjustment, uh, mechanism could be used to push back against what's called embedded carbon. That's a somewhat paradoxical term, which refers to the amount of carbon emitted into the atmosphere during the manufacture of said raw material. The difficulty lies in the risk of the WTO adjudication for an import tariff which is not coupled with a domestic tax of the same proportion, which could be found in violation of the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade Act, which was established in 1947. Essentially, they came out of World War II and said, hey, we don't want to be fighting each other anymore, let's, let's make a trade agreement. Um, there is, however, a carve-out. Um, in GATT Article 20, uh, there's an allowance for rules necessary to protect human, animal, or plant life or health, but a tariff must not constitute arbitrary or unjustifiable discrimination between countries. Embedded carbon tariffs have not been litigated at this point, and it is not known what, the, what decision would result from such a process. So essentially, nobody's tested this. There is one other obvious drawback. Embedded carbon only covers a fraction of global carbon emissions. Even a border tax adjustment on embedded carbon leaves significant room for additional incentivization. And here we have the next figure in our, in our blog post. This one's from the uh, John Doerr book, uh, Speed and Scale Countdown to Net Zero. And so we see a chart of about 60 gigatons of global emissions, and then we see it's broken down uh, essentially like a pie chart. Um, it's more of a waterfall in this layout. Um, but it shows the segment in each sector, so 6 gigatons to electric transportation, 20 gigatons to the grid, 7 in food, 7 in nature, 8 in industry, and 10 in just carbon removal. Um, so it's sort of nice to see where, where the biggest uh, targets are. And, and trade only, only, only covers one of those sections. <clears throat> okay, so let's talk about Europe's new tariff. This is CBAM. In July 2021, the European Commission presented a new proposal to reduce and eliminate carbon leakage. It's a tariff levied on the cost of embedded carbon products entering the EU, which matches domestic carbon prices. This is called a Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, or CBAM. The plan has gained significant momentum, and as of this article written on the 13th of December, it is close to passing. The EU CBAM is designed to backstop the EU ETS regulation for a meaningful impact on decarbonization, rather than letting industries leave the region and form pollution hotspots, as they say, outside of the environment. 
Until October 2023, reporting obligations would only apply. After that point, the importers will need to purchase carbon certificates on an open market, just as domestic producers do on the EU ETS. The United States, in full predictability, is considering responding with both protest and its own version of an import tariff. Of course, the U.S. has much less of a leg to stand on, as it would be doing a border tax adjustment without the corresponding internal tax. Um, but for those desperate for any climate change measure, it could be a step in the right direction. Um, Congressional Research Report R47167 is actually not too dense or long of a read on the subject. And uh, there are two relevant bills in Congress currently, H.R. 2307 and S.2378. Notably, the U.S. has instituted a price on methane emissions with the Inflation Reduction Act. This begins in 2024, starting at $30 per ton of CO2 equivalent emitted and going up to $60 over a few years. There's another CRS report, number 47206. This is a great start. Some closing thoughts here. Uh, the case for viral tariffs on grid emissions. So in part one of the post, it started with me not having an inkling of what ETS is, much less its growing global scope, uh, despite the need of higher prices, which, we, we, which we've talked about. Um, I would have thought that tracking embedded carbon would present an impossible task, and was thinking instead of how we might structure a tariff of energy, where emissions are more easily tracked due to a smaller number of large electricity generating plants. Um, this seems like a new idea, or at least one not talked about very much, and uh, it's in line with much of what I've seen in the, in, in the research here, so I'll describe the concept. Um, consider that embedded carbon only accounts for a fraction of emissions coupled with a product. Even the least energy-intensive product is still manufactured by people who use the electric grid when not at work. Um, and we can see on the chart from speed and scale that fully a third of carbon emitted is from grid-based electricity. So countries could adopt an import tariff according to the exporter's grid carbon efficiency. Uh, this could be made viral in nature by reducing the tariff on countries which implement a similar tariff on their imports. Ultimately, the tariff is self-limiting as grids become fully decarbonized. There are some obvious downsides here, of course. Uh, one would want to tune it so that trade restrictions don't damage the global economy at a time when we need the largest per capita productivity. The funds gained would have to be used in a way to offset their own cost. International trade is so important that even a very small rate would produce a large effect. Uh, closing thought number two, nonpartisan values. Although climate change regulation is typically seen as a liberal issue in the U.S., I see this kind of regulation as aligned with Republican values of freedom, such as producing our energy domestically rather than importing it in the form of oil, and our ability to enjoy the natural world, especially for hunters and whatnot. Um, Citizens Climate Initiative has a good bit on this. Um, one of their one of their conservative members talking about sort of their their path there, um, which I thought was was eloquently done. Um, and I also link out to a TED talk from someone named Ted Halstead, who runs a project called the Conservative Case for Carbon Dividends. 
Closing thought number three, uh, new law in values-based trade regulation. That's a mouthful, I know. Um, so this whole area touches on a relatively new part of our legal system, punitive trade rules based not on the product and not on the country, but on the technique used to produce the product. One other similar area jumps to mind. It's California's Prop 12 which was passed in 2018 by referendum, and it, can, it is a ban on pork from pigs raised in crates. Um, and it is now being contested by the, the uh, U.S. Department of Justice on behalf of industrial pig farmers. Um, both carbon taxes and California Prop 12 restrict the import of goods based on certain principles as did the ban of imports on solar panels made with Chinese slave labor. Uh, I think the connection between trade regulation and social and societal values could make for an interesting study. Finally, i wrap up here with what you can do. Um, so while the world sorts itself out, you don't have to sit idly by. Um, one, uh, if you like this post, please share it out. Um, you can also write me directly your thoughts or, or leave a comment. I find it quite motivating. Um, number two, in writing this, I've learned that across the U.S. and the world, Citizens Climate Lobby is organizing to put a price on carbon uh, in, in sort of a grassroots style, and they're accepting volunteers. And number three, uh, there's a, a site called Degrees Pod, which has a three-part series on what you can do personally, professionally, or politically to reduce your emissions. Um, this will also be the subject of my next post. That's all for now, and I hope you've learned something new. Thanks so much. Bye.